He ate your pet rabbit. And we cooked it. <laughs> and yeah. you cooked it. Yes. That isn't quite true, is it? No, it wasn't a pet <laughs> rabbit. Hello, hello, and to our global listeners, konnichiwa, bonjour, kalimera, willkommen, and good day. Welcome to episode six from Pot and Cloche Garden Podcasts. I'm Joff Elphick, a gardener from the Cotswolds in England, and I'm very excited about this episode. There'll be our regular product review, where I let Jeff hold the mic, while I wax lyrical about a not-so-new bulb planter I've recently discovered. The lovely Jane Perone, the Guardian Gardens editor, makes a brief appearance to let us know about her incredibly popular houseplant podcast, On The Ledge. Get over there if your spider plant is getting leggy, or your devil's ivy is up to no good. As usual, a very big thank you to our fantastic sponsors, MyWindowBox.com. They've got beautiful period-style and modern window boxes in cast aluminium or steel with drop-in or freestanding troughs to match. Pop over to the website, MyWindowBox.com, and bring the garden to your window. Oh, and one thing, of all the days I could have chosen to speak to Judith, I chose the one where the local air show were practising their manoeuvres. So please forgive the F-16s and the Spitfires that you might hear in the background. Now, anybody born in the 70s will definitely know today's guest, Judith Han, who was a presenter on Tomorrow's World from 1974 until 1994, and she was the show's longest-serving presenter. Judith released a book in 2017, Herbs, Delicious Recipes and Growing Tips to Transform Your Food. It's been one of Amazon's bestsellers and in 2017 was declared one of the 14 best gardening books by Gardens Illustrated. It's such a beautiful book with stunning photos by Tamin Jones throughout that I had to ask Judith her first impressions when the proof arrived at her desk. I loved it. It all looks so fresh and so green. And what I'm particularly proud of is all the herbs in there were photographed from herbs from the garden. Oh, were they? Apart from two. Yes. Uh, the, the wonderful photographer came here with um, an assistant photographer and a couple of other people on the team. And they said, OK, you know, you bring me the herbs and we set up, you know, areas for them to be photographed in different ways. And they said, there's only two things. Um, I don't think your basil looks very good. It's got some holes in it. I said, well, that's the flea beetle. It means nothing. And, uh, and the tarragon isn't very good. I said, I agree with you. I said, my husband's out shopping. I'll phone him. <laughs> so he went to buy them. <laughs> so back he came. Yes. Um, now, the book also, I think, was listed as one of the top 14 books for 2017 by Gardens Illustrated. Good old Gardens Illustrated. Yes. I have always loved that magazine. And when it first came out, all those many, many years ago, I knew the editor slightly. I don't know how I met her. And I liked her very much. I thought the, the magazine was absolutely terrific. Always looked so beautiful. And I kept hundreds and hundreds of co copies in my attic. Yes, like uh, we all do. And so I picked up Gardens Illustrated and saw that there was a review, the first review I'd read about my book and it just was terrific and it was just what I knew I wanted to achieve with the book and then they made it one of the best 
books of the year. So I'm very, very pleased with them. <laughs> I thought they might like me so much that they might offer me a, a regular column on herbs, but they haven't done that. Well, I, would, I would love to do that for somebody. Just a, a, a brief column, you know, saying something like, lovage is in perfect condition this month. A few sentences about it and one recipe. Yes. Just so that people can go through the year and learn about herbs. I'd love to do that. I used to write a regular column for the Herb Society magazine. Oh, yes. Because I'm in the Herb Society. Were you, were you president at one point? I was president, yes. yes. They ask you to be president for two years. Yes. And I was president in between a specialist in um, medicinal uses of herbs. Mm -hmm. Then I did my two years. And then Jekka McVicker, who is, again, a grower. Um, I, was, I was particularly in the, interested in the culinary side. I particularly like the way the contents are laid out in the book. You've laid them out by season. Why did you do that rather than any other way? Well, I had another idea, first of all, which they thought was a bit difficult. I wanted to have five-star herbs, four-star, three-star, two-star, one-star. And the five-stars would be herbs that tasted brilliant, that you could grow easily, but you couldn't buy as cut herbs in the shops. So it was really saying, if you've got limited space, grow the things that you're not going to be able to get at your supermarket yes. or greengrocer. But I think the publishers thought this idea of mine of having five-star herbs down and, and not mentioning those that I didn't really like or that were so easy to buy, you didn't need to, yes. would frighten a lot of people because it would have things in it in the five stars like my favourite herbs like Lovage and Sorrel and Chervil. Yes. So um, I could see their point, but I think it would have been a more unusual way to do it. Now the forward explains your journey into the world of herbs. Um, do you mind explaining just for the listeners how that did come about? Yes, well, I was always very keen on cooking, and I did a science degree. It was zoology, as you said, but I did botany as my second subject. And um, I was always very keen on botany, and possibly should have done it as my main <laughs> subject. Um, Which I don't think you can do anymore. I think if you wanted to study pure botany, I don't think you'd find it oh, really? at any university. Really? No, really? I don't know what, what the ch well, why that's come about. David Bellamy was one of my tutors, of course, a botanist oh, at yes. Durham University. And he used to say, Jude, he said, you're a botanist. It's about time you realise you're a botanist. Give up the zoology. <laughs> but anyway, I didn't ever do that. But I, I was always interested in, in botany. So I decided to go into newspapers and did my training and asked if I could write a science column. But at the same time, I also used to write about food as a sort of sideline in the newspaper because I was very interested. But, I mean, that was... I was... A, at university in the 60s and it was very very hard to to buy cut herbs in this country um there were, were they all dried yes <laughs> yeah, in bottle, a pot. bottles of dried yes. herbs you know absolutely disgusting um but strangely enough due to me being um a scientist uh, and i was working on television then i did a series on aging and part of it was scientifically you know the, the the best things to eat in food terms to be healthy and I as a result of that brought out a book and it was the 10 rules on eating healthily the 10 rules on exercising healthily and then there was a, a section on what's happening at cell level and and another one on stress and so on and they asked me 
to put some recipes in that were the typical sort of things that I would eat to back this up. And the head of BBC Food, who'd only ever used Delia, she used to do all of them, then she used Madda Jaffrey for a year, and then she used Ken Om. Then she wanted to do this series with all of the best chefs in this country being asked to make their food more healthy. So reducing the fat, reducing the salt, re reducing things like cream. I know we've learnt differently about that now. And I was going to be the presenter. I couldn't believe it. I was so happy. <laughs> but she had been reading my book, which was a science book, and had seen my interest in food and thought, this is the perfect person. And it was doing that because people like Raymond Blanc and Antonio Coluccio knew all these specialist suppliers where they could get herbs. And we were doing this in the 80s. So lots of wonderful herbs being used in the cooking. And I just thought, this is incredible. I'm going to grow all of those. Yes. And so my science and my interest in food led to my absolute passion for herbs. Oh, I see. Yeah, so here we are now standing in your herb garden because of all that. Yes. Well, enough about cooking, because my listeners like to hear a little bit about gardening. Um, some growing tips. Um, in the ground or in pots, any recommendations? Well, I grow herbs in pots that are half hardy and they go inside. But apart from that, I don't grow herbs in pots because I don't have to. But if you have to, because you've just got windowsills or you've got a small balcony, you can grow herbs in pots. And I explain the best way of going about it in my book. Yes. But I'm lucky here because I've got very stony, free-draining, alkaline soil, which is perfect for all the Mediterranean herbs. And if they're in the ground, you don't have to worry about watering them. I mean... It's very hot at the moment, so I'm having to break the rules there. But normally I don't have to water. They're so easy compared to other plants in the garden. Yes. And, and because it's in a, a walled area and it's very sunny, the, the scent is quite amazing. It's a lovely place to come in and pick your herbs. Well, we are, in fact, standing just on the edge of your herb garden, aren't we? We're in the little bobby. Well, this used to be a pig yard. Ah. And this was the pig shed. And it's now become my potting shed. Outside is your herb garden. Um, it looks like the pigs had quite a nice life. Plenty of space. <laughs> Lovely uh, dry stone wall around the outside. Um, shall we have a little wander and you can just point out some of the, the herbs that you've got growing here? Yes. I, I think if we look at um, these four beds here. Yes. Uh, have got box at the corners and they've got hedges along them and this is winter savoury oh, just yes. coming into flower which is the bean herb, very strong, but good with fresh beans, like broad beans, but also with all the dried haricot bean dishes and so on. Yes. And I've got a lot of, um, I've got a lot of marjorams and oreganos. The thymes have flowered and they're just going over and it's very, very important at this time to cut them back hard. Right. Because that's one reason why thymes die. They've got to be cut back hard and they've got to be very free draining. So if your soil isn't uh, suitable, just put in lots of grit. Yes. And when, as the thymes finish flowering, you can see the hyssops here are just coming out. You yeah. can see the, the blue hyssop there, but I've got white hyssop and pink hyssop in there. And that you have to grow from seed. Oh. I tried for years from cuttings because I read in Jekka's book, you know, do them from cuttings and I said to her, I'm having no luck she said no I made a mistake you have to, have to use seeds <laughs> yes so you do that annually do you 
Um, yes, I'll, I'll grow a few extra yes. every year. I've got some in the greenhouse at the moment. Um, and then the central rose is a sport of the apothecary rose, Rosa Monday, which yes. is very scented, uh, deep pink striped, and very good for, for cooking, for making rose petal jam that you can use in sauces and ice creams and so on, and rose syrup. And around it, if we just wander down, you'll see I've got clumps of garlic chives. Yes. Which um, they have white flowers white on flowers. long stems, yes. which uh, look very pretty for and a long time. And they've got flat leaves as opposed to round like regular chives, haven't that, they? That's right. Regular chives are a very soft herb and they'll just go to nothing. You shouldn't really cook them. You should just add them at the last yes. minute. These you can stir fry because oh, they're much firmer. Yes. And then I've got a lemon balm. This is a golden lemon balm. And in those two beds, I've got variegated lemon balm. And do you have to keep on top of that so it doesn't seed everywhere? Well, the green one seeds, but mm. these don't ah. seed everywhere. Okay, yeah. So th- that's why they're here. That in a couple of corners, there's a bit of green got in. But I grow all of that up at the vegetable garden because I use the green to make herb tea for people who come on my herb courses. So there's lots of borage. Yes. And I love the borage flowers for decorating desserts and salads. And I always put them in ice cubes, which people yes. think is very eccentric. And um, I've got sage as sort of full stops at the corner of the beds these are this is common sage um this is purple sage it has, the, has the most beautiful flower i've just cut the flower heads off today and this is my salad herb bed and you gave me that broadleaf sage yes you and richard gave me that from barnsley, from barnsley that's House. right and that is one plant it's grown from that oh that's interesting um, it's about four or five foot across now isn't yes, it, it yes it is and has nice pale blue flowers, which I haven't cut the heads off yet. And in this bed, my salad herb bed, I grow um, about 20 different salad herbs for the summer. And they don't last as long in the summer. They bolt, particularly when it's hot like yes. this. But I'll be sowing it again in, in just two or three weeks' time, so early August. And it'll go all the way through the winter. And I grow the Japanese ones like Mitsuna, Mibuna, mm-hmm. and lots of different crests. Yes, they're quite hardy, aren't they? They are. And, and very attractive mustards and rocket, uh, wild rocket, annual rocket, and wasabi rocket. Have oh, you tried yes. wasabi I'm, rocket? A long time ago. I haven't had it recently. Yes, it's very uh, strong. Yes, isn't it? very strong. <laughs> the only thing that I've got in here at the moment is Buckler's Leaf Sorrel, and this is some summer savoury. Ah, yes. I grow three different sorts of summer savoury. I mean, savoury. Summer savoury. The winter savoury I've got as a hedge and a creeping savoury. Now, we don't have time to talk about all the recipes in in your book, but uh, the first thing that caught my eye when I was reading it were herb teas. Um, Are they as simple as they sound? How do you go about making them? Totally simple. Yes, just boil some water and don't put it on the herbs when it's just boiled. Just leave it uh, a few minutes. And then... I mean, you can use a lemon verbena, you can use lemon balm, you can use all the mints, apple mint, bowls mint are very nice, all of the mints, um, lots of lots of different herbs. Uh, I you, even make rosemary tea, so oh, that means you can make it in the winter as well, and yes. people really like that. And I have got two proper herb teapots. Um, one actually has a little plunger in it like a cafetiere oh, has, right, yes. but inside the, the teapot in a central cavity but you can also use a cafetiere 
just put loads of herbs at the bottom, pour on your water, hot water, and then after a few minutes just plunge, plunge it down. Plunge it down. Oh, it I makes, see. It's a very good way of making herb tea. Tarragon. French or Russian? French. 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 Why do we so often see Russian for sale when nobody ever recommends it? No, it doesn't taste good at all, <laughs> does it? No, no. no. So French, it's got a, a sweeter flavour, hasn't it? Yes, 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 yeah. But I think of the aniseedy things. I prefer um, chervil to tarragon. I grow loads of chervil. I've just harvested it. The seeds go black, and I've just put them all in a huge pot. And I've been growing chervil for about twenty-four years, and I've only ever bought one packet of seed. <laughs> I just harvest my own, which I love doing. Now, the next thing I spotted in your book is something that people born before. 1970 won't know about the chicken brick oh the chicken can brick, you tell yes. me about the chicken brick and how you use it right well we we rented um a house near the sea in kent um many many years ago probably 40 years ago and they had a chicken brick there and because we used to like to go out all day down to the beach and so on i would I would look to the instructions I would leave a chicken in the bottom of the oven where it wasn't very hot and I'd stick a lemon inside it and a few herbs and just leave it to slowly cook and then take it out of the brick and finish it off and so I bought one of my own and it is a really lovely way of cooking tender chicken over a long period and to explain to people who haven't seen them that they're not a brick they're made of terracotta yes and they are just two halves that fit together with a hollow in the middle that's about the right for a chicken have you got one no i haven't a friend has one so i'm not unfamiliar with them no, but uh, you don't no. see many of them around no you <laughs> the place where you could always buy them was habitat yes. in those days <laughs> yes. Yes. so i gather now lurking over the back of these two large rosemaries is uh, uh two plants of lovage now I want to love lovage, um, but I always feel it's a little bit overpowering. I think if you um, use the young leaves as they're coming through the ground, I've actually got an eight-foot run of them there, but the only two you can see over the rosemary are the ones that I've left oh, I stalks see. on for the seeds. For the seeds, yes. And lots of little ones are coming through, and um, they're mild enough to be able to use in salads. They come through in the So you can the eat them raw? Yes. Yes, oh, I see. But I... I like lovage soup, which is basically um, the main ingredients are, are lovage and potato. And it's got a sensational taste. Ah. And a favourite recipe is cooking guinea fowl with lovage. And you add lime and vermouth and cream to the sauce. But you cook it for quite a long time and just let put two handfuls of leaves in on top of the guinea fowl. You can do it with chicken as well. And all the flavours come out of the leaves and they go crisp and you just lift them out and throw them in your compost bin and you've got this beautiful flavour in oh. the sauce really as well oh that's trying. well worth a try yeah definitely um courgette flowers they're not herb in themselves i know um i, I have to talk about them because i remember picking them by their bucket load at the manoir and at barnsley house um you suggest a crab filled recipe in the book um, with a dill sauce that sounds fantastic I, I haven't made that this year uh, the courgette flowers have just started and what I made uh, on Saturday I made my first stuffed courgette flowers of the year and I'd got some homemade pesto made with wild rocket and I got some breadcrumbs and I stuffed the flowers with, the, with that and then I made a fresh tomato sauce, 
with some herbs in to go over the top. And, yes. And we had that as a first oh, course I see. with some Parma ham. Mm. Um, courgette flowers, edible flowers, that's something else you mentioned in the book. Um, what edible flowers are people most likely to have in their garden that they can use well, on their plate? Roses, um, cornflowers daylilies a lot of people don't know daylilies uh, honeysuckle uh, pot marigold um, nasturtiums lovely bit spicy they are a bit yes. spicy and probably the sweetest one is, is this one ah viola it's in the viola family and it's called heartsease heartsease yes isn't that pretty it is lovely so is that, is that a wild viola type of um, I bought the seeds oh yes um, and I have bought them before. They've done very well this year. It's I'm a, hoping they'll seed and come again, yes. but I don't know whether they will. It's a particularly nice small flower, isn't it? I know violas have small flowers, but that is uh, a really compact flower. But all the sort of viola family com- are edible. Yes. And they're just a particularly pretty one that, that you can buy in herb catalogues. Um, so I, I, do like, I do like that. And I, I also like some of the dianthus clove pink mm. is the best edible dianthus oh right and i grow a lot of those and you get that clove flavor coming through a bit yes yes, yes. Yeah. now i noticed you mentioned that these all these petals can be crystallized yes how do you go about that well it's a question of rolling them in sugar and letting them dry um it's as simple as that really you yes. can do it with herb leaves too um crystallized mint leaves um I'm, there's a recipe in my book for chocolate and mint mousse, uh, which was uh, just an experiment. I just put a great handful of mint in to to the unctuous um, mess of the chocolate and eggs and everything <laughs> that I was using for the mousse. And um, the flavour really went through it. And then I just lifted the leaves out and squeezed out the chocolate. It, it, it was just an experiment. I'd never seen it anywhere else. It worked very well. <laughs> And um, so we've had that two or three times now. And I made crystallised mint leaves uh, to put on the top of that. Thyme shortbread caught my attention. Now, I particularly remember being at Barnsley House and Franco Taruccio. Do you remember Franco? Yes, I do. The great chef from the Walnut Tree in Ab- yes. Abergavenny. He would run out into the garden with some freshly made uh, shortbread. He would often put rosemary in his, I think, and yes. he'd always recommend it to be eaten with coffee eat coffee or something like that. Yes. Um, now, you've suggested thyme, as I say, or I think you mentioned lavender as well. The lavender you? buds, when they're really small and it's the same with rosemary if you just get the new tips of the rosemary and just chop the leaves very finely so you haven't got any stalk in it that, that's very good in shortbread yes as he, he obviously proved to you yes it's something about it i like i think it's that you've got a, a biscuit with this rather grown-up flavor yes, incorporated it's, it's into good, it, it? It's yes good, it yes. really is herb sugars now they're new to me um what are they well, um, how, how do you use them I just have a, a bottle of sugar and I would put in some lavender stalks and you find within quite a short time, certainly within a month, the flavour from the lavender or other herbs just infuses into the sugar. Oh, I see. Mm. And then you use it in, what, cake making or yes, sprinkling? Yes, in, in syrups, yes. you know, that you're going to use with summer fruits. I go home today, back to my herb garden at home. I think you've already suggested this time of year we want to be cutting them back quite hard, don't we? Yes. I mean, the, the reason... I mean, these, 
these uh, sages, which because they've just been cut back don't look brilliant, but they have been a huge statement, about three or four foot in diameter. Yes. They've been in for over 20 years. Oh, But right. because I cut it right back to the new leaves, that cut, those leaves are all new since the flowers have, have uh, you know, be, been on. Yes. And th- that will mean, and it, this, this applies to nearly every herb, cut them back hard once they've flowered and you'll keep your... Your yes. Now, you keep your perennial herbs. You taught me one thing I'd never heard before, um, and that is to cut back lavender very hard. It's something all the books are always telling you not to do. I know. But it's something you do, and you've had great success, haven't you? Yes, I've done it two or three times, every six or seven years, and the lavender's been in for about 22 years. And it was very leggy after about seven years. And you can see over there, I've got a, a mass of it. Um, about 200 plants over there and that's an awful lot of lavender to replace (laughs) and I was going to because I thought you couldn't do anything else and I just read an article from a lavender farmer so he he was growing it on a large scale and he said on the 8th day of the 8th month i.e. August cut right back into the wood and if there's any sign little sign of a growth you'll feel more confident but you might not always find it. Yes. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to throw them away anyway, so I might as well. But it was quite a hard task, as you can imagine. And I was looking at it this year and thinking, really needs to be done this year. And I'm thinking, can I leave it another year? (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Now, you have a herb school here in the Cotswolds, don't you? Mm. Um, Can you tell me more about it and how people can come and be taught how to use herbs? Yes, well, I... um, this year I put on my website which is Hans Herbs you can look, look me up by googling Hans Herbs and up it comes um, I, I, I do garden visits for you know sort of people who are interested in herbs or the RHS came last week and University of the Third Age and gardening clubs and things like that but the other ones I advertised a whole day's course from about 10 till sometimes people still there at 7 in the evening <laughs> and half day courses and the all-day course involves a lunch, which is quite special. And nobody, I think one person out of many, wanted to come on the half-day. They all want to come on the day course, <laughs> yes. which are pretty exhausting. Um, they are really pretty exhausting to do. And so they, they come and they, they taste raw herbs that are just picked that morning and washed. And then they see me make various dishes... And I always have a pesto tasting session. I make pestos from different herbs and they have to vote which ones they like best. And sometimes I make them with pine nuts. Sometimes I make them with stronger nuts. Um, for example, in, in Sicily, they always use almonds. You know, they? Yes, yes, so there, there is this difference. Um, so this year we had um, some made from wild rocket, which is very strong. It is very strong, yes. Um, some made from coriander, some made from lovage. Lovage pesto is excellent. What would you have that with? So you can have it as you would any pesto. Yes, yes, yeah. Stir yes. through some pasta. Or, yes, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, we had, um, let me think now, uh, parsley pesto. 
sage pesto now i didn't think you could make pesto with sage and i read just a sentence in a book on italy saying this woman had made sage pesto and some people quite a lot of people they say it's their favorite and they taste all of them oh that's interesting and i use that broadleaf sage over there yes to make it mm. oh i see um so is it a cookery course rather than a gardening course or is it a little mix of both no they they learn how to grow them mm-hmm. um sort of in the barn i talk about it and then they come out here and they see the design how some herbs can be used as edges some can be used as hedges some can be used as full stops at the end of and then you can have a central plant and circles of things and then i have my salad herb bed this is my parsley bed i grow parcel celery flavored parsley as well as flat leaf and curly and these are looking rather weird at the moment because i'm going to collect the seeds <laughs> then i have a pudding bed over there ah. and everything Can we have a quick look yes everything in there is useful in puddings now oh, i can see at the back that looks like sweet sicily at the back sweet sicily yes uh aniseed flavored um the seeds when they're green are lovely chopped up in shortbread biscuits mm-hmm. and tart tatan but I use the leaves um, in, in a lot of fruit dishes. It's a natural sweetener, so you can just put a huge handful of leaves in if you're cooking some rhubarb. Yes. And it'll give this lovely sweetness. And I gave a woman who runs a cafe in Yorkshire lots of seeds when she came on one of my herb days, probably about 10 years ago. And uh, she wrote to me telling me how she'd got so much of this growing on her allotment and was using it uh, when she was making her cakes and so on. And she said, I'm so pleased with you for having given me them. I've named a cupcake after you. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> that is the ultimate accolade. It is, it? yes. Um, so this is the pudding bed. Uh, Angelica at the back? Yes. Yes. Angelica, um, that, the flowers are going over, that sweet rocket, ah, the flowers yes. are edible. Um, there's woodruff down there, yes. the flowers are edible. Um, this is a, a nice white sage that's there just as a full stop really and then um this is calamint i've got calamint and lesser calamint yeah it's like uh, it's like a napita isn't it i always think um with tiny little flowers um probably attracts nectar searching butterflies and does. insects it yes does. yes and and the flowers are lovely um you know in dishes but you can make a nice syrup um to go with desserts um and that's bergamot the leaves make earl grey tea but the flowers of are course, edible yes um now something i'm going to backpedal a little bit because we were talking about what we can do this time of year now something i know you like doing is collecting seed isn't it mm. um so you go around what you collect the seed and so a little bit of everything so you've got con- continuity of stock yes and people who come along to my courses can just take them home as a gift i i make these bowls of seeds and they just take them so i'll be collecting um the sweet sicily seed and over here i've got some um, greek cress that's ready to harvest now oh yes and that's the annual rocket and you can see the seed heads forming here so when i when i hang that up you see them there yes i can see yeah quite a lot on there you'll get a lot of seeds off those yeah. won't you yes yeah and uh that's wasabi rocket that's going to seed as well and of course i keep my coriander seed are you growing dandelions there as well? Yes, peace on leaf. Peace on leaf, yes. Peace on leaf, yes. I, um, for, for, the sa- for salad leaves? Yeah, yes, I like them. And this is, this is um, a Japanese chrysanthemum. For s- 
uh, chop suey or stir yeah, fry or stir something? Stir fry yes. and soups, the leaves and the petals of the flowers, but not the centre. Uh, it's called shunguki. You've reminded me the um, the uh, pisson li, the dandelions. Um, of course, you can also use the roots, can't you, for a coffee-like yes, substitute? You, um, you, you ask can. my parents about that, and they'll tell you how I try to dry out the roots in the oven and set the oven on fire oh, because, really? <laughs> because I put them in the grill and there was oh, some dear. some bacon fat left in. I think. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I don't think they'll forget that very quickly. Um, I've remembered a story you told me about this herb garden, um, and I apologise. You've probably told it a hundred times, but it's very amusing. You had Rick Stein here, didn't you? Yes. And you know what I'm going to say next. And you had his little dog Chalky here. Yes. And according to the papers, and I know you can put this right on this he ate your pet rabbit and we cooked it <laughs> and yeah. you cooked it yes. that isn't quite true is it no it wasn't a pet <laughs> rabbit um the daily telegraph in their gossip column um he was at some uh, at some party that i was at with a colleague and i was telling uh, my colleague on tomorrow's world about this and he didn't talk to me and he um he didn't overhear correctly um, because A, I'd never use the word bunny. I mean, uh, probably because I loathe Hugh Hefner, I'd never <laughs> use the word. It wasn't my pet rabbit. Chalky caught it. I was screaming, but it wasn't in horror at the rabbit. It was the fact that he was sending all my herbs up in the oh. air because he was running around all the beds. <laughs> and we certainly didn't eat it. Um, and I, I apparently called the dog brutish. Whereas uh, I said, like me, he's uh, he's not as sprightly as he used to be because he, he he died about two years after that. Yeah. Um, yes, I usually start my herb courses showing that film because oh, it's so you? funny because you see what the, the Telegraph said and then you you see what the local papers said. They followed it up. Yes. Um, so is there actual footage of it available somewhere? There will be, yes. Uh, the melee. <laughs> yes. There will be, yes. <laughs> well, thank you, Judith. Are there any um, books in the pipeline we can look forward to? Not at the that moment. That you can tell us about? <laughs> not, not at the moment, but I I have got an idea for one. Mm -hmm. um, so they said to me, you know, when it, when it was launched and it was bestseller in its category on Amazon, it's been reprinted. Mm. So I think they're quite pleased with it. And it was suggested, write one on vegetables. And I said, well, lots of people know more about vegetables than me, but I really do know a lot about herbs. And it was a complete passion of mine to write this book. Yes. Whereas with vegetables, it wouldn't be. So I won't be doing one on vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> well, Judith, thanks very much for talking to me today. Uh, it's been fascinating. And I hope uh, it might encourage listeners to grow a few more herbs and perhaps use them a bit more in their cooking. So thank you very much. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. It's really nice to see you. Hello, my name is Jane Perone and I'm the host of a podcast called On The Ledge. If you've ever wondered where you've gone wrong with that spider plant that's turning yellow or despaired over your dead Venus flytrap, then this is where my podcast comes in because On The Ledge is all about houseplants, indoor gardening, how you can keep your plants alive inside. I've been obsessed with houseplants since I was a little kid, but there's still loads for me to learn. So come along and learn with me. I talk to the experts, help to answer your houseplant problems and struggle over Latin names. On the Ledge is available on all good pod apps and you can check out my website at janeperone.com.
Over now to my gardening chum, Jeff Carr, who holds the mic while I explain the merits of an old but highly efficient weapon in the bulb planter's armoury. Hello, Geoff. Here you are again outside in the allotment. How are you? Very well, Jeff. It's my turn today. What uh, have we got? Well, I know it doesn't sound like anything new, but uh, I've been looking at bulb planters recently. I don't know whether you've had to plant any bulbs over the last few months, but uh, you know when you're presented with a sack of 5,000 daffodils to plant... Your you know, heart sinks. Your heart sinks, but you want to do it efficiently and quickly. Um, now, I'm sure everybody listening has uh, seen a number of the options. So you've got the handheld ones. Have you seen them? They're sort of like a trowel, got a little handle across the top. Yes. Fine if you're planting into tilled soil, but anything else, if you're planting in the grass, you can forget it. I've also had the um, sort of the Bulldog brand ones that are very strong, really well made, long handle. You push down with your foot um, and it takes out a plug. You put your bulb in and you make the next hole and the plug is pushed out by the... comes out the top and you pop it back into the previous hole. Um, works very well, but I've got to say, this little contraption I've got here... I used the other day for the first time. It's fantastic. Now, it's probably a little bit unfair that I'm introducing people to this because I don't even know if it's still available. Okay. But from what I can see, it's it's made by a company called Garden Pride. Right. And it's called a Garden Pride Dibba. Right. Spelled like Abba. D-I-B-B-A. Dibba. I must admit, I've never actually seen one like this no. before. I've seen similar, but not with what looks like a handle that... <laughs> pushes out yes exactly it's got like an ejector system <laughs> that's the word i was looking for it's a for. bit like uh, but like your purdies that you've got in that case those shotguns you've got um but i'll, I'll demo i'll demonstrate it for you okay. so it's people can't see this but it's very much like all the long-handled bulb planters so you know there's a, a somewhere for your foot to go that you push down so i'm going to do that now and i'm going to jump down on it it's again as you mentioned earlier it's quite brashy around here so i, I felt i hit stone but anyway it went down far enough you, you twist it a little bit and up it comes, taking out a lovely plug. Pop in your bulb and then you just place it back on top and then with with the handle, I just push it back in and look, it's straight back in there. You wouldn't even know. And with a little tap of your foot, you wouldn't know I've done that. I want one. Yeah. Well, I don't know where you're going to get one. But uh, it's brilliant. Now, is it any quicker? I don't know. Um, I timed myself here. I did 50 bulbs and I wasn't going to rush, you know, I'm sure I could do it in half the time if I was sprinted, but you've got to do this all day. And I did 50 bulbs, and it worked out at just over nine seconds a bulb. I think that's fine, you know. You could probably do it in five seconds if you really wanted to race me. But um, I thought that's pretty good. So the Garden Pride Dibber, highly recommended. Um, best thing I've seen it, since it, sliced bread, well, I've got to say. Seeing you demonstrate it really brought it to life. When When you look at it, you think it looks like a bit of an old-fashioned contraption that's going to fall to bits but actually seeing you demonstrate it and two things really came to mind about how good it is one is how much it penetrated into the earth easily which is always a problem Mm -hmm. with these these things and secondly that ejector dropping the plug straight back into the hole it saves not only time but your back as well yes because it's having to bend over to put the the plug back into the hole that does your back and takes time Exactly. So, yeah, Garden Pride Dibber. I can imagine if you had a Garden Pride Dibber and a sack of bulbs on your, in a sack over your shoulder, yeah. so you could just make the hole, put your hand in the sack, drop the bulb in, you wouldn't have to bend over at all. Well, that's true. 
Yeah, I have seen, incidentally, and this is something we should look at in the future. It was a, a tubular bulb planter, and you thrust it into the ground, and it's like a beak on the end, and the beak opens. And then you drop the bulb down the tube, and then you pop out the beak. Um, I think as well, it, I think it was designed for planting um, sort of seedlings or, or plugs as well. Um, but that looked interesting, but it was sort of 99 quid. It was a lot of money. It looked yeah. very well made, but it was, it was quite expensive. Yeah. So perhaps that's something we can look yeah. at in the future. But in the meantime, yeah, recommend it if you can find one on yeah. eBay. It does look rather, I mean, that looks like it's been made in the 50s or 60s, it, it, it doesn't does, it? It does, yeah, yeah. Um, but I've never seen one before, but I wonder why, because it works. Yeah, and as I say, I just think it's that little bit better than the standard long-handled... Yeah. Um, bowl planters yeah. it's very robust as well yeah good so there you go jeff very good thanks for that Josh. glad i taught you something learned something today <laughs> well thank you jeff Thank you to my sponsors, my window box. A very big thank you to Judith. A thank you to Jane Perone for allowing me to recommend her on Pot and Cloche. And a final big thank you to you for listening all the way to the end. In the meantime, may your secateurs be well honed, your box be free of blight, and your bulb planter eject with precision and ease. I'll see you next time. <laughs>